0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Fisher Investments Market Insights Podcast, where we discuss our firm's latest thinking on global capital markets and geopolitical events. I'm Naj Srinivas, Vice President of Corporate Communications here at the firm, and I'm joined today by our lead editor and writer of our online magazine, MarketMinder.com, Elizabeth Dellinger. Hi, Naj. Thanks for being with us today, Elizabeth. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about North Korea. It's obviously been in the news the last couple of weeks, and there's been a lot of saber-rattling between Kim Jong-un and our own president, President Donald Trump. Would you mind just giving our listeners a little bit of the backstory on what's going on here?
1: Uh, Sure. So, at the very high-level Reader's Digest version of things... um, North Korea has tested something like 17 intercontinental ballistic missiles over the last year, and they keep stepping up threats, saying things like they're going to hit America, they're going to fire missiles at Guam. Uh, I think earlier this week, Kim Jong-un made news when he walked through a factory being followed by his minions writing furiously in their notepads while he ordered the ramp up production of all of their warheads. And some people went on Twitter and called that a very bad day for the world. Um, so I guess we could sort of call this in shorthand a little nuclear standoff. Um, at the same time, it's all happening while the US and South Korean military are conducting some war games, which North Korea always hates. So there's probably a little bit of an element of a marketing in their strategy, so to speak. Because they uh, they like to look big and strong in front of their own people, while we're off there you know, flying planes off their coast, So,
0: so you could say the tensions are high right now.
1: You could say tensions are high right now. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the real thirty thousand foot definition.
0: But this isn't the first time that we've had tensions like this before. So, what are the What are the market impacts of this and what are the market implications of these tensions? Is this necessarily a bad thing for markets? What have they done in the past when you have similar incidents?
1: Well, so far, markets have been fine, probably because, like you say, they've been doing this for years. I mean, what was it, 2006, when uh, the former leader, Kim Jong-il, was firing rockets and there was a whole raft of tensions and a lot of -of end-of-the-world fears Uh, Stocks were largely fine then. Nothing happened. It simmered down. Uh, Fast forward to, I think, 2010. You actually had, you know, basically armed conflict breaking out on the Korean Peninsula. You had North Korea actually sinking a South Korean destroyer, shelling an island. And again, it didn't escalate past that. Markets were fine.
0: That that seems like it's a, a little bit... Farther down the road of escalation than we're here today.
1: Quite a bit farther down the road of escalation. I mean, so far all we have now is a, a literal war of words. And the, 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 the rhetoric has a bit more uh, fire and fury, shall we say, to borrow from President Trump. But the the, the, the nature of the threats is unchanged. I mean, it's, it seems like it's sort of a, on the North Korean to-do list. Wake up. Eat three breakfasts. Make threats at U.S go tour a factory and look at things.
0: (laughs) Have there been incidents in, I know you mentioned 2006 and 2010, but have there been, you know, looking back a little bit farther, more historical comparisons that we can make for potentially the market implications of heightened nuclear tensions? I mean, you called it a nuclear standoff. What happened after the embargo on Cuba or the uh, blockade on Cuba, excuse me?
1: Uh, So you're referring to the Cuban Missile Crisis? Absolutely. Yeah. uh, So that's a really good example because that's the one time when I guess you could argue that we risked potentially nuclear conflict on America. Um, And the same thing happened then that you see with a lot of geopolitical conflict, which is you had some stock volatility as tensions escalated. Um, I believe off the top of my head, you actually had a little pullback that you know, bottomed right after uh, President Kennedy called the blockade an act of aggression. And by the time the Soviet ships turned around, ending the standoff, stocks had risen several percent from that bottom.
0: Okay. What are North Korea's motivations for doing this? I mean, it seems like, as I mentioned earlier, they've been doing this for decades now. Why? Why?
1: All I, I, I said earlier, a lot of it is probably marketing. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's lost on North Koreans that Kim Jong-un is the most well-fed person in their country. Um, it is a very impoverished place, and he has to do a lot to convince them that he still needs to be leading them when they are living in desperate poverty and have no freedom, and one way to do that, at least in my own personal opinion, is to create this perpetual exiden- existential threat to their way of life that only he can solve. And um, you know so, so
0: he's like all politicians. they're interested in one thing above all else, and that's staying in power. And
1: he has, you know, a whole revolution to fend off. And the the other aspect is here is that he he tends to get restive anytime he wants the US and South Korean military drills to stop. Or if he's uh, getting tired of sanctions and wants to go to us into uh, re entering nuclear talks and lifting some of those stiff penalties. Usually that happens when his country's short on hard currency. In the past they have, you know, made some bluster in an attempt to extract food aid from it. So
0: mm. what's China's role in all of this?
1: Um I sort of see China there as like the concerned uncle standing off to the side, really not wanting to intervene because they really want the kid to like them, but they're standing there with a naughty stick just in case. Um, North Korea is what you would call a client state of theirs. They kind of help prop up the regime a little bit, give it some financial uh, support. But they also realize that they're probably a little bit responsible for any havoc that it wreaks on the world stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last thing they want is a reunified capitalist Korea. So they have a vested interest in keeping the country divided and keeping the North Korean regime stable. Uh, So they have some influence over what North Korea does. Historically, they've used that to kind of goad them into reentering nuclear talks. Uh, This last time around, their foreign minister just kind of got up on stage and scolded North Korea a bit, which was quite uncharacteristic.
0: Mm -hmm. Probably also why they they actually voted along with the rest of the United Nations Security Mm -hmm. Council to enact sanctions, these new sanctions on North Korea.
1: Exactly. Use
0: that stick a little bit. Yep. So, Elizabeth, I know you said that, you know, this is very likely to probably play out as it has in the past. There's a historical precedent for a lot of the saber rattling and, and even you know, missile tests in the past. And in fact, a lot of the saber rattling has escalated much, much farther than it has today. But let's talk a little bit about the extreme scenario, the extreme scenario that everyone really fears. I know that's only a possibility and a remote possibility at that, but what happens in that situation where you do get some sort of nuclear action from one party or the other?
1: Well, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a step between you know fizzling tensions and outright nuclear holocaust because I think a, another point that we'd want to look at is you know what happens if you get full on war on the Korean Peninsula, um, which is also a risk uh, despite the South Korean government's incentives to do whatever is necessary to avoid it. Um, you can look back to returns during the Korean War for that. You had a uh, correction in the market in the run-up to that war and in the early weeks of fighting, but it rebounded pretty quickly. Within months, uh, stocks were back at pre-war levels, and by the war's end, you had double-digit positive stock market returns, which which speaks to the broader point of regional conflict just not being big enough to not global commerce.
0: Okay, but... If North Korea does launch a preemptive attack on the United States, obviously the, the human cost would be very, very huge and markets might fall, but I think you've got to think about game theory there a little bit, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, there's 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 one point that's really important to make, which is that for all of the intelligence and all of the claims that you read about, nobody knows what precise capabilities North Korea has. You know, most of the experts in intelligence and weapons agree that they probably could hit Guam, they probably could hit Japan, but there is no evidence, and there is a lot of skepticism among US officials that they have the technology to fire an intercontinental ballistic missile that can go all the way over to us in America and not burn up on reentry. There's no evidence that they have that technology, which is why this is such a pie-in-the-sky, far-fetched conversation. Um,
0: and, of course, no one knows if they can actually miniaturize a nuclear warhead to fit on that intercontinental ballistic missile and have it survive reentry.
1: That is the other thing. There's no evidence they have developed that. Um, so, you know, any anything that they can fire also would have to penetrate U.S. missile defenses, which are pretty doggone good. So I want to be clear here, you know, we're we're talking about possibilities, but the probabilities here are extremely, extremely low. And,
0: and then, too, going back to your point earlier about Kim Jong Un being very, very, you know, focused on staying in power, it seems to me that a preemptive attack on U.S. soil or or any other country for that matter would incite some pretty swift retribution from the rest of the international community and the United States. And Would probably serve to end his regime pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I haven't bugged the Pentagon or anything, but I think it's fair to say he'd get one shot.
0: (laughs) So, what should investors make of all of this?
1: Uh, Well, I think they should remember that markets move most on probabilities and not possibilities, and that the probability that this escalates into, you know, World War III, the end of our way of life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is extremely, extremely low. Um, You know, I get that the the bluster has escalated quite a bit uh, past what we've seen, you know, under previous administrations. You know, there's a lot of talk in the media like it's going to be different this time because President Trump is just, you know, using so much tougher language and is uh, much more... uh, showing more of a temper than maybe the Obama administration or the Bush administration before him. And I, I would just caution investors against lending any of that too much credence. I mean, There's always a lot of media bias at work. They have their own incentives to whip up a sensationalist frenzy so that you will tune back in and give them more eyeballs and they'll get more advertising money. Um, so I think it's very important just to you know focus on what actually is going on, which is that For all of the talk, the State Department is following the typical path of quietly negotiating with their foreign officials. They've actually had more conversations and more diplomatic conversations in the past few weeks not fewer so while you saw tensions sort of escalate on the one end on the quiet end the diplomats just kept doing their thing and doing whatever they needed to do to defuse the situation
0: not not officially necessarily but maybe you know in hushed tones behind closed doors or through intermediaries
1: yep okay
0: great well elizabeth thank you so much for joining us today uh for more please visit marketminder.com thanks for tuning in Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright Fisher Investments 2017.